Hi, everybody. I'm Josh Constein, your host of Press Club. This week, we're discuss discussing creator fintech. A new credit card for creators, Carrot, has recently just raised $26 million to help creators finance their uh, content production and secure loans, even if they don't have a ton of money in the bank, but they do have a loyal audience and great engagement. And so we're joined today by Carrot's founders, Will Kim and Eric Way, and we're joined by Alexandra Botez, one of the world's biggest chess streamers, a chess champion, a huge presence on YouTube and Twitch, making so many people fall in love with chess recently. And she's a customer and works works with, uh, with Carrot. And so today we're going to be discussing why fintech for creators is a huge burgeoning space for startups with tons of new opportunities, the Carrot origin story, what they're trying to build. And we'll talk to Alexandra a little bit about what creators really need when it comes to financial services. So thank you guys all for being here in the audience. It means the world to me. So let's kick it off. Will, maybe you could just give us a little bit of the sort of state of fintech for creators, what the major problem is, and then what you're solving with this big round that you guys just raised today. Yeah, happy to, Josh. When we think about fintech for creators, a lot of times I think people, first of all, just don't get creators, right? People are trying to see, okay, fintech is a real thing. There's a lot of technologization of that kind of fintech of um, kind of finance, but people don't see these creators as real businesses ultimately, right? And so I think last year when we raised our seed, and launch that card product, what we realized was, wow, these creators are real businesses. People don't seem to get that yet. The traditional banking infrastructure doesn't seem to get that yet. So why don't we go and provide something that can understand these creators far better than say your average FICO score, right? And what we saw was crazy, crazy growth, right? We were growing like 50% monthly from launch for the past year. And I think that's validated to a lot of people in the space that, wow, creators are real businesses. And when we think about the fastest growing creator segment or fastest growing SMB segment in the world today, and the fact that there isn't even simple banking solutions, that there aren't even simple credit solutions to help these creators scale up their businesses, I think that's a shocking thing. And that's the place that we want to kind of fit in. So Alexander, maybe you could talk to us about what's been up with you and, uh, and maybe a little bit about your creator journey, how you became a chess streamer and some of the challenges that you end up facing because the world isn't quite ready to understand that creators are going to be an enormous business. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually had been playing chess from a really young age. I started when I was six and I went full time streaming chess on Twitch in 2019 I actually tried to start my own company in the creator space that failed. After three years of trying, uh, my little hobby was taking off. So it was only in the first year that things started growing and I started hiring people like video editors and assistant. And I realized that I had to create my own LLC. I wanted to create a business banking account to basically be able to separate my finances a little bit easier. But when I started applying for business credit cards, I, I got rejected twice um, from Chase, actually, despite the fact that I already had a personal account with them, a really high credit score over 800. I even put money in the account and they were still refusing to let me have a have an account for some reason. I called them. They wouldn't tell me why. And then I started talking to other creators and I found out that a lot of, you know, traditional banks just do not understand what content creation is because so much of your revenue comes from different sources. Like you'll have one sponsorship that might last three months then you'll have another one that goes for six months. You have a lot of one-offs and they tend to come through, but you don't have a kind of, you know, traditional contract or an estimated salary that's really easy to use. So when I talked to Will, um, and he told me what they were doing. I was super excited because I've been looking like something for this for so long on top of how beneficial it was in actually giving, you know, cre credit limits that were much higher than what I could get. 
Okay, so Eric and, and Will, maybe you could tell us about like the origin story. Like, how did you come up with this idea for Carrot in the first place? Yeah. What was your like uh, eureka moment? Where was this something that like, you dealt with personally in your own creation, or was it something you were you're just noticing other people, your friends, and people that you love to follow were having this issue? So, Josh, I used to work at Instagram. I was a product manager. I helped build Instagram Live and business and creator tools. And what I saw was really two things. The first is, wow, creators are absolutely crushing it as businesses. For the first time, it's possible to be a middle-class creator SMB because the platforms required to distribute that content and now make money out of it actually now exist, even this very platform we're on now. But the second thing I saw on Instagram was I'd work with all of these creators and they wouldn't have the time to think about their financials and their operations, that they would need to eventually start scaling their business beyond just being a person in front of a camera to a media company. And one of the creators we worked with, he had over 20 million subscribers on YouTube. His name is ZHC. He's a killer business. It's blown up in the past couple of years. But when a guy like him goes and tries to speak to a bank on, hey, this is what I do, can you give me a credit limit to support what I'm doing? It's like he's speaking another language. They have no idea what's happening. And so I was at Instagram running all of these creators who want to learn more about financials but don't have time, hearing stories of banks not getting them. I mean, again, I can't say enough good things about Alexandra. Not just a top Twitch streamer and YouTube creator, but literally top chess player, YC founder, Stanford graduate, high credit score, and even her banks were rejecting for cards. Right? One of the most business-savvy creators out there. Now take that to folks who, hey, they started this as a hobby and it's blown up, it's in a business, and they need help. Right, And that's where Will and I said, cool, let's go build financial products for creators. And secret is, actually, we didn't start with a card. And I can talk a little bit more about that, too. Okay, yeah. Tell us what happened first. Like, I, I want to know the, the journey because I think there's so many people in the audience who are thinking about uh, their own creator economy startups or wanting to go join one. And they want to know, what, how did this actually get started? Will and I went to VidCon and Playlist Live, and I put on my Instagram shirt, which you can see I'm wearing my profile now. It's very effectively gentle. Oh, yeah, everyone wants to chat with you. And I literally go to creators and just try to get to them as human beings and try and understand what their life was like. And two things. The first is, yeah, as a creator, you're, of course, focused on content. You're thinking about how do I grow faster? How do I make more content? How do I make more money? Now, what people don't often realize is you need a platform to be able to put that cycle onto work. And if other things in your life aren't in place, it's gonna be really hard for you to focus on content. And so when I ask creators this, I hear like in the background, especially those on the come up who just hit critical content market fit and are thinking about the business, I hear like these stresses and anxieties start to seep in, right? Like, yeah, like taxes, like I feel like I should do something about that, right? <laughs> Yeah, taxes, somewhat important. Yeah, like, oh, it's fine. And so, Creators you know, struggle with taxes so much, but I'm sure we'll get into that later. Yeah, actually, Alexandra, well, before I continue more, I'm actually really curious for you. What was that evolution where you're like, hey, people love watching me. I can do more and reach more people with this than even as a professional chess player. Well, I was never going to go into chess professionally because chess players are much like struggling artists. But what I was really passionate about was the intersection of chess and content. I thought there was a really big gap there and nobody was paying attention. This was way before Queen's Gambit. So that was a very exciting journey 
that's something it just started like a passion project and then started growing naturally. I finally found product market fit. It just wasn't in the startup I initially created. So Josh, so many of the creators I spoke with were on a similar journey as Alexandra. And what I was going to say was those anxieties I talked about around taxes, we made the classic mistake many startup founders do. You ask someone a question, you hear a thing, you say, I'm going to go build that. And so Will and I said, Let's go build taxes for creators. Let's go build QuickBooks for creators. Let's go do business capital for them too. And obviously, the one thing we did right is fortunately, we didn't go and build tons of complicated product. We sort of scrapped together something and then followed up with all the creators and said, hey, I built this for you. Are you interested? And like crickets. And they're like, huh. But well, just to interject, I do remember one creator. I was like, hey, we can help you with your taxes. And he looked at me and he was like, bro, like, I bought a Lambo all cash. Like, I don't need tax help, which was the most bizarre response, I think, <laughs> to like, this is orthogonal, like completely unrelated. It seems like if you bought a Lambo all cash, you're the exact kind of person who needs tax help. This is actually really common. A lot of creators don't pay much attention to the, their finances, especially in Twitch, because they're able to make so much money basically streaming games they like. So they don't think about it. I mean, people who I've tried to refer the card to don't use any personal credit card yet. So I feel like there's so much financial literacy that is being started with creators. Yes. But as people are learning, once they adopt the card, which is the easiest thing to do instead of, you know, signing up a creator for taxes, I feel like they're going to be so sticky for whatever other financial products as a building. Oh my gosh. Alexander gets it. Right. That's literally the learning that took us six, nine months to realize. Right. People sometimes ask us, OK, cool. Like you're building financial products for creators. Right. Well, like, mm, can't they just go to like Silicon Valley Bank? And it's like they don't have time to even know what a credit card is and go set up one for themselves. And like the reason why we're hearing crickets on taxes is like, I don't know, like, Josh, if I just like walked up to you at a random convention and was like, hey, man, like I've built like QuickBooks for you, like as a journalist, tech investor, Renaissance man extraordinaire, like for a guy's name, Josh, and it's the best thing out there. Do you want to use it? You're kind of like, not really. Like <laughs> QuickBooks are not your hobby. Taxes seem like a scary thing to like yeah. hand over to like a stranger, to be real. Like I'm, I was like, is this one big scam? And I'm going to have the IRS beating down my door soon enough. Like, whereas like credit cards, everyone's like, Oh, no, they're all scammy, right? But it's like at least a sense of people understand that like it's normal. Yeah, it's something I you, most people already use to some degree or are familiar with at least, which is a great wedge into something that can be an expansive suite of products. Yes, and that's the secret, right? The reason why we've grown so fast, it's not just the underwriting, the limits, the data. Sometimes we get too focused on that. It's also just on a simple, trusted product experience. To Alexandra's point, right? When she reaches out to creators, they have someone they already know using it. And at this point, every creator we reach out to or who reaches out to us already works with someone that we already have on the card. That's how it's spread. That's how it's grown. And that becomes the effective wedge to start financial literacy, to now build these additional products beyond just a card into more. It's all about finding that start. Okay, so I want to hear about the credit scoring system because I think this is the most mind blowing to me is that you know these banks have no understanding that like oh they like your Stripe account, your Facebook ads, your YouTube revenue like they don't understand any of this language and yet they're like definers of future financial health for so many for tens of millions, you know, fifty million people according to SignalFire, our venture capital funds uh, research, we found at least fifty million people and that was a year ago were already you know turning this into at least a side hustle if not their full profession and yet. 
there's basically no financial services for them. And one of the biggest things is like bridging that gap between how much is a follower worth? How much is a like worth? You know, what does it mean to be popular and have a loyal audience? So maybe you could just talk to us a little bit about like, how do you build, uh, how do you take a, a, you know, a follower count and a engagement rate and turn it into a credit score? Josh, let's start with what is a credit score today? You look at FICO and Eric and I always talk about this. Like FICO was Fair and Isaac Corporation. This was just basically two dudes that got together in a room and said, how do we assess if someone is credit worthy almost a century ago? And so this was before the internet. And this I'm to- also just going to jump on an ad. Their yeah. names were Fair and Isaac. That's why it's called the Fair and Isaac Corporation. That's why it's FICO. <laughs> Be like, Will and Eric made the WICO company which was used to assess, I don't know, cyborg surgeons in 2071. That's you know? the next startup. I'm so down. That does remind me of how Lyft uh, like, used to be called Zimride, but one of the founders' name is John Zimmer, but he isn't the one who came up with the name. It was actually the other guy before they even collaborated, and he called him up. He's like, oh, yeah, so I'm doing something. I know that you're interested in ride hailing. Uh, I'm building something called Zimride, and the other guy whose name is John Zimmer is like, you're shitting me. <laughs> oh, so okay, no, but tell me, so, all right, so tell me how the credit score works. So that's FICO, right? Which is kind of crazy. That has now become the arbiter of whether you are extended credit to help you grow your business or not. And so on the other side of what we see is that creators want our real businesses with this kind of content engine, right? There's a business engine here where you create content, you monetize that, and then you reinvest into that content. Oftentimes that requires working capital because creators don't have, it's not like you upload a video onto YouTube and then Mr. YouTube or like Larry Page like jumps out of the screen and says like, here's $10,000. Thanks so much for uploading your video. Instead, you wait over the course of that month to monetize that content. And at the same time, you're expected to produce another video 12 p.m. PT the next week to be able to follow up and keep up that consistent stream of content, right? And so what we saw was, hey, can we provide a solution there to assess creditworthiness of creators to be able to extend that working capital? And that creditworthiness, there's two elements to it, right? There's a leading indicator of all the social stats of that social media business which is, what's your reach? What's your engagement? What are the kind of CPMs that you're looking at here? What are your demographics looking like? And then pairing that with the lagging indicators of monetization. So how much did you actually make in terms of the advertising revenue that you got, in terms of the sponsorship revenue, or in terms of the, like, say, merchandising revenue that you're seeing from your Shopify store? And we're able to collect both of those kind of main stats where we look at a bank integration via Plaid for the lagging indicators, And then we look at their publicly available social stats to get a really clean idea of, hey, how is their business performing over time? And when you pair those two, you get a 99%, like 10x better, 10x better like vision of how this company is doing than one number, right? On a scale of what is it, 200 to 800 plus trying to understand how often someone has paid off their debt in the past. It's also just mind blowing that like if you pay off all your debts on time all the time, you don't get credit, which is like, I think is just the silliest thing. Oh, so if I pay every month perfectly on time, I don't have any credit. It's like just kind of a ridiculous system. Like they basically demand that you go into debt and pay it off rather than just staying like financially solvent all the time. Right. Well, the way that you build up credit is oftentimes by taking out large amounts of credit, right? So if you have a mortgage, your FICO score and you're paying it off just on time perfectly, your FICO score will be super strong and amazing. But guess what? If you're a 22-year-old streamer that just made it and are now raking in millions annually, you haven't had the time to build up that credit score at all. And the banks, we see this over and over and over again. They will slap you with a $10,000 limit, sometimes a $5,000 limit, right? And these are folks who are making 10, 
times that kind of cash flow on a monthly basis. So what I was going to say is something I'm actually very curious about is we're looking at this from the financial underwriting perspective, which is a very important, valuable one. Alexandra, I'm actually really curious as a content creator, what are the business outcomes, metrics, and stats that you focus on? What are the milestones that are on top of your mind? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and I, I think about the KPIs of our channel a lot too and trying not to get caught up in vanity members, in vanity numbers. Like for example, subscribers doesn't say anything. So the most important KPI for most content creators is the you know viewership or the engagement on their main platform. So in my case, I'm primarily a Twitch streamer. So the impo- most important metric is the average viewers that I have on Twitch because that usually dictates what we're going to be able to do in terms of sponsorship values. And if it's a YouTube creator, then what they're probably looking at is the average viewership um, per the last 10 videos or something like that. Yeah, Alexandra, maybe you could just talk to us a little bit about like, what is it like? What is the emotions of having to basically constantly churn out content, uh, especially when you don't have that kind of financial stability yet? We've talked a lot about burnout is such an epidemic amongst creators right now. There's not a lot of support systems. There's not great ways to take a vacation or even just like have somebody substitute in to help you. Uh, and it can be really tough for creators, especially when you're dealing with these fickle algorithms where you pour all your spirit and emotion to making something and you have really no idea like how many people it's actually going to get pushed out to sometimes. And so maybe you could just talk to us like, what is that like? And why, like just help, help our audience empathize with why this can be so tough for creators when they don't have access to working capital. Yeah, absolutely. And I can start with, you know, the, the first year that I actually went full time doing content creation, because right now we're big enough that, you know, even without credit, we would be able to do it. And it's beneficial now because at least we get credit rewards for things that we actually use, like uh, tech that we're buying for our stream. But in the past, I mean, Twitch would actually pay out what you make what you made in about 90 days. So you'd have to wait a month and a half. Sponsorships were similar. YouTube would do it uh, in the next month. And if you're trying to pay a video editor or hire somebody or a thumbnail editor and basically try to scale, you have to make sure that you have enough capital and you're often uh, waiting quite a bit, especially at the start. So that was certainly difficult. And then as you get a little bit more established in terms of the burnout and the churning con- churning content. I actually think that's the reason why so many creators put off their finances. They're so obsessed with making content because you feel like you, as a Twitch streamer, you feel like you can't even take a day or two off because otherwise your viewership numbers start going down. As a creator, you feel the pressure to keep making videos better than the next one you did. And you start churning them out at such a speed that you're really pushing your creativity to the max in a way where it is hard to not get creator burnout. And on top of having to be creative, you're also spending all this time on the back end because you're actually also running a business. So you're dealing with replying to sponsorships, planning future videos, having an agency, having a management company. It's just so much work that you really need all the help you can get, which is why you start building a team, getting assistance, having you know financial services that make much more sense. But it is really like working on two things, content and the business. Okay, so Will and Eric, I want to ask about this crazy news that you guys announced today. Huge, huge moment for Kara, a huge defining moment for creator fintech. Maybe you could tell me about what happens next. Absolutely. And for us, this represents more than just financing of another company. This is validation that creators are businesses. And Josh, I'm going to tell you, we're just going to be the first of an entire realization of an ecosystem saying, wow, I can build business products 
for creator SMBs and help them across all different parts of the value chain, right? And for us, this funding was also so special because many of our cardholders, including Alexandra, came on as investors, our creators, more than 30 of them, right? In addition to Alexandra Blau, Graham Stephan, Carter Sher, Nas Daily, I'm talking about creators across Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, TikTok, every single platform came on to support it because it's so much of a realization for these creators too that their businesses, instead of just sharing other folks' products, why not own a part of it too, right? I think that's another really big trend we're seeing. Yeah. Definitely. I think that that's something that's so admirable because we know that like equity is how you build generational wealth. That's how you really make it in this world. It can't just be selling your labor, selling content day after day. You have to either build an enormous sort of subscribership that's going to keep paying even while you sleep, or you need to be an owner of the means of production. And so we'd love to just hear a little bit more about like your philosophy there, because I hope more creator economy startups realize that like having creators uh, as part of your investment uh, set is so important not just because you know it's the right thing to do, but also you're obviously going to have you know people who are incentivized for life to help make your platform successful. And you get to have that direct relationship with the people you're actually building for, which I think is how you're going to have the best empathy for your customers and users and how you're going to build the best products. Yeah, so I'll speak a little to that, but then I'm going to defer to Alexandra because I think she has a much better perspective I do. But from what we see, it's exactly as you said, right? There's a natural evolution as a creator where, hey, first, thanks to YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, TikTok, gosh, you can make content and maybe people will actually see it, right? Whereas this once upon a time, if you weren't in the Hollywood distribution machine, you're out of luck. And then the second tidal wave was all these companies like Hameo and Patreon, all these merchandise and advertising platforms. Now you can actually make money off of it. The third evolution is, well, hey, I've built an incredible brand and following and I make great money, like how do I diversify and grow? And that's why we've seen so many creators ask us and think about launching their own product lines, about investing in companies, right? And I can talk more about for us why this is so incredible and what we want to use the funding for, but I'd love to turn the mic over to Alexandra to have her share her perspective. I think this is very accurate um, because most big creators do see themselves as businesses. This is something that I'm actually surprised that people on the outside are just having the realization of right now. That's actually the surprising part for me. But there's definitely this shift to big creators feeling like they want to have a stake in what they're helping create. This is why you see so many creators uh, creating their own products and going directly to their audience. You see Mr. Beast starting the Mr. Beast Burger and creating his own retail chain, which I think is going to be able to happen, not just with the biggest creators, but also more in the mid level as well. And I've seen quite a few startups or companies around this doing the same. For example, uh, Nebula is this streaming platform that is putting only content creator platform, kind of like uh, Netflix does. And all of the creators who make content on it actually own the platform. Um, so I'm seeing quite a big trend towards this. And also in my case, what I'm very interested as somebody who has a bit of an experience trying to start my own company and also before in venture capital now as a creator is it'd be really helpful to bridge the gap because I have seen some big creators, for example, Pokimane invested in Theragun starting to come on as angel investors, but if there would be some way to create this bridge and 
connect the correct creators to startups who are actually working in their space, not only would they be able to help more with value add, but they can really tell if there's product market fit there because then they'd want to use it and share it with their friends. Same way I did with Karan, beg them to let me invest. Oh, wow. um, it's funny you say this, Alexandra, because almost like you segued perfectly into this, we actually have a Discord for our top creators and cardholders where we're also going to be running a little mini Shark Tank where we'll have some of our cardholders driving. Alexander, you actually kind of revealed our little secret. So yeah. what you described is actually what we're planning to do next. We have so many creators like yourself who've asked to learn about diversification and startup investing. We also have so many startups and investment partners asking for access to creators. And so, yes, yeah, starting with our cardholders, we're going to be holding mini Shark Tank sessions where we're going to bring in top startups from YC and other accelerators to come in and pitch to creators, have creators discuss investments with each other, and also have expertise from XYC partners helping guide the whole yep. process. So yes, this is something that's coming. <laughs> that's I that love mentioned. this. You guys should let me stream it if you ever want an audience. Oh my gosh. We are so down to awesome. stream. Yeah, I love that idea. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing this explosion of this, you know, creator renaissance. Basically, what happened was that the big platforms neglected creators for so long that they left them, you know, without ways to really diversify, to build their presence off a of platform or to be financially stable. And so now we've seen this renaissance of creator startups emerge. And some of the great ones I've seen just recently, PopChew is helping more creators uh, create their own food lines, similar to like the Mr. Beast Burger, which I think is great. Fourth Wall is doing merch-centric uh, or creator-centric merchandise where you actually can uh, give a donation along with your merchandise purchase, and then you can get a message back from the creator directly to you. It's almost like a cameo that comes with the, the piece of merchandise that you buy, which I think is brilliant. And you know, at Signalfire, we're investing in a bunch of the companies like this. We invested in Carrot, we invested in Clubhouse, uh, we invested in Spore, which helps creators make their own websites off of platform, because I think this concept of diversification is so important. Because if you have all your cards in, in one hand, if you have all your eggs in one basket, and you know, a platform ends up faltering and doesn't end up doing so well, or their priorities diverge from your own and you're not really aligned with the same incentives. And they're saying, oh, we don't really care about creators as much anymore. We're caring about, you know, traditional businesses, or we only care about our users. We don't care about the creators. You know, it can really leave creators in the lurch. And, you know, we saw this with Vine. It was so tragic when Vine shut down because there were so many amazing creators that had built a presence so heavily there without really diversifying that when the Vine went away, they basically lost everything. And that's why we've been encouraging creators to use tools like Spore.Build to be able to create their own websites where they can own that relationship with their audience, take in uh, contact info, uh, you know, email addresses and phone numbers so they can get in touch directly with their fans. And I think this all comes back to this concept of financial literacy. And so maybe you guys could tell us a little bit about how you think about that at Carrot, because, you know, it's one thing to hand people a credit card, but if you don't educate people on how the best ways to use it or how to think about their finances, you can actually put them in a hole. And I think we saw what happened with Robinhood when you just sort of like give away and you democratize tools uh, for finance, that's great. But if you don't pair that with education, some people can lose their shirt and that's pretty sad. So we'd love to hear how you guys are thinking about financial literacy. 100%. It's a huge part of our mission because we're category defining new products in a brand new market. A lot of what we have to do is education. The more creators understand about what they need to set themselves up for business financial success is also very aligned with how we will do as a company. Because our plan is not just to start with the card, but to build bank accounts and taxes and QuickBooks, all those things we know that creators want. It's just historically they've been less interested in because number one, 
it takes them too much time with current solutions that aren't built for them. And number two, they've come from providers who don't understand what they do and thus aren't trusted. And so from the very start, whenever we onboard creators onto a product, we actually set up calls with them. Not because we need to for the product, but because we use that as education. It's almost like superhuman-esque in a way. And yes, it is sometimes tricky to get the time of people with millions of followers, but we do calls with all of them. And we actually walk them through, gosh, why is the financial system the way it is? And why is it scary and bad? And all the frustrations they've had when banks don't understand you, right? Like it's not just like credit. We've had creators who've been rejected for bank accounts, even payments. Like, Josh, when I PayPal you $10, that $10 doesn't move over instantly. It takes three days. PayPal just decides to trust me and spot me that 10 bucks. And if it doesn't, well, creators are locked out for this entire ecosystem of financial products, right? And we walk through why the system is the way it is. We walk through why we've built what we've built, which is, to be clear, a card with no fees to the creators whatsoever. And then we start to answer any other questions they come to us with around incorporation and taxes. They text us, Josh, all the time. Once we set them up with the card, they have so many follow-ups. It's why we're actually planning to bring on financial advisors to provide this advice to creators pro bono, just to help out and help educate them on how to think about how to set themselves up for success. Wait, wait, you said text you. Do you guys actually give your phone number out to the creators? Yes. Okay, that's awesome. And I've actually seen a, a rise of some of the best startups that end up building the products that are the most well aligned with their users are doing this. It's not about having some like form that people can fill out that goes to some anonymous customer service agent, but you know, companies like Superhuman are really uh, aggressively log every piece of uh, customer feedback. And then when they end up building the features that their customers want, they actually go back and close the loop and email that person and say, hey, we built the thing that you asked for. Or I know uh, the, the founders of Alchemy started this uh, social app called Down to Lunch, and they were getting tens of thousands of text messages to the point that they like completely broke the iMessage system. And the founder, Nikhil, had to actually ask Tim Cook directly to get his iMessage fixed because they were getting so many messages, which sounds overwhelming. But I think it's really just an incredible sign of founders having that empathy for their users that they want to be in direct contact with them, not separated by a bunch of layers of bureaucracy. This is something I noticed right away with Will and Eric, because one of the biggest things in uh, the you know creator community, especially on Twitch, is trust. You're so used to people messaging you or emailing you, trying to get you to promote something for free or try out a new product, that even recommending a card that, let's say, you know, you invested in or you use almost seems like pushing something to creators. But every time they hear about it, they get excited. And the fact that Will and Eric have been willing to talk to them directly and answer all of their questions makes them all have incredible experiences, which then they end up telling their friends or pulling out the card whenever they're eating with other creators. And you start building this brand trust. And because they've done such a good job at that, that's why I think creators will trust them for the rest of their financial infrastructure, because they're actually not just fixing the problem of getting creators a credit card, they're going to be the first company creators have ever trusted for their finances. And that's huge. Alexandria, I'd love to hear a little bit more about, you know, what it takes to create some of your videos and how you think about financing them. You know, I think a lot of people are are naive to how much it costs. You're like, some of you are like, oh, you, all you need is a webcam, right? And then ignore how much, you know, editing can go into some of this stuff, lighting and production quality, plus all of the, you know, the staff and building out that creator, uh, creator economy middle class, which is so important because there's a lot of people behind the camera, behind the mic 
microphone that help creators thrive. But you know, you got to pay them. You you want to because they're the ones who are part of your team. So maybe you could just walk us through like what is it like to produce some of your content, especially the stuff that might have more editing and production value to it. So I share my channel with my sister and we do a lot of chess content, but also variety content. So all of this content that we do on Twitch, we then try to clip and push out to other platforms like YouTube and TikTok. So we have two YouTube editors right now. We also have a thumbnail editor because your thumbnails are actually one of the biggest things that drives people to even see your videos. We have a TikTok editor on top of that. We have a full-time assistant who works 24-7, basically. I, I promise he sleeps for really good bosses. He also is our day-to-day manager. We also have an agency and an esports org behind us. So the amount of people who are working behind us and everybody except for the agency and the esports team we have to pay um, are, are basically people who are on our payroll. We have to make sure it's going through. Uh, we have to pay them either through PayPal or through specific banking accounts. It's it's so messy, which hopefully Karat will be able to fix in the future. But hopefully that kind of helps to show how many moving parts there are behind the scenes. And this doesn't even include when we need to hire a professional cameraman or if we have to hire someone to help with the tech setup or when we have to buy that material. For example, uh, we just figured out how to live stream from outside. So we have this backpack we carry with us with an encoder that uses like three different Wi-Fi sticks and a camera that is portable and can't get wet. So there's so many materials or sometimes you're making YouTube videos where uh, like you're like Mr. Beast, you're giving out money or you're doing something that's expensive to even create the video. So you have to budget for that as well. Wait, did I see that you were streaming from like a kayak today with your new little backpack rig? Uh, yes, luckily the backpack didn't fall into the water, but finally made it so we could kayak around the lake in Austin without losing connection, which was incredible. Yeah, and I think like the create uh, the fans really understand and feel that production value because you know while we a lot of the creator content started feeling much more like traditional UGC, you know these a lot of these creators are becoming full fledged brands at this point, and the, the content is is rising with it, and you're also seeing the like the the explosion of giveaways and things where you know the creators are giving and basically funneling sponsorship money right back into their fans because they know that the best way to grow is to reward those fans for uh, making them go viral or just being super loyal. And so I, I love seeing that because, you know, I think it has, it's more of like a wealth transfer back to the fans, which I think is critically important. Um, so Will and Eric, you you guys are building, uh, you've got the credit card, you know, now building some more of this financial infrastructure. What are some other things that you want to build? And what are other things you want to see other people build in the creator economy of fintech? For us, there's a very clear next step, bank accounts. We work with a creator who has more than 300,000 followers on Twitch, Josh. And when she went to open up a business bank account, they shut her down because they thought she was doing adult entertainment. Because she went to them and she said, hey, I'd like to open an account and I'd like to deposit money into it. And they're like, well, where does this come from? And she said, I make videos of myself on the internet and I put them up and people pay to watch the content. Oh no. (laughs) Yeah, and that's so disrespectful. We just heard Alexandra describe to this audience all the work she puts into making not only her content, but her company. And imagine someone coming from a traditional institution of power and privilege saying, just making assumptions like that. It's incredibly wrong, it's incredibly off. And it seems so natural to us, hey, we've helped creators with one problem in something that they understand and get excited about. Now let's take that trust and education we've built to bring them to the next step, a place for them to hold 
their capital with us too. Because then, Josh, we have the atomic unit of payments and accounts, and there's so much more that we can do just with that. Okay, so what about some other things, you know, maybe things that are outside of the scope of Carrot that you hope other people build? Because there's some incredible entrepreneurs, founders, product people in the room, uh, and would love to hear what they, what you might be able to suggest they build, because there's a lot of opportunity. This feels like a greenfield space still. So I'll take a first stab, but then I think Alexandra also has a better perspective than I do. One of the things I heard from Alexandra, and I've heard from many creators, I just spoke with a creator recently with about one and a half million subscribers on YouTube, and oh my gosh, he's been through 12 editors. It's really hard to find good people. And that's true if you're a traditional SMB, if you're a bakery, if you're a startup, in a way even more so because you're a creator. Like LinkedIn for creators doesn't actually exist. <laughs> and so I'm actually curious, Alexander, all the folks that you work with, how did you find them? Yeah, I was gonna say LinkedIn for creators is basically Twitter or asking friends. Um, the first person I hired was actually directly from my Twitch chat. Um, it was somebody who I noticed was had like a math Olympiad background, a, science, a computer science background. I was like, this person's way too smart uh, to be watching the stream so often. And he was also helping moderate. So I actually ended up hiring him. He's been with us for over a year now. And the reason I hired him is because the most difficult thing with hiring as a content creator is fitting this specific niche because you have such a specific specific audience and such specific content that it's a very tough skill to hire for. So I had to basically hire somebody who I know consumed a lot of my content and actually lived within the Twitch ecosystem because it's impossible to explain to other people like, what are these random emotes and why do you have to do these certain things for engagement? And do you watch enough other streamers to see what is going to help um, or what the trends are going to be? And when I wasn't as lucky to be able to hire directly from people who watch, I would basically post on Twitter with a specific job description. And again, I'm just trying to hire within people who watch me and know my content and might have some kind of interest in it. But right now, the biggest need for us is actually scaling and building a team. I've been trying to figure out who I could hire to basically have the role of someone like our um, creative development to help with videos and be on the creative side. But it's so specific that I haven't found the right person yet. This is funny because this is exactly what Jack Conti, the CEO of Patreon, told me. He said the same thing, that just finding that like uh, creator economy uh, middle class of production talent is really difficult because, like you said, you need to both have the like general creator economy lexicon, understand how all of these platforms work, all the individual features. You probably need to have been some level of creator yourself just to be able to get that, uh, that depth of knowledge. Plus, you need them to understand your specific niche, whether that's chess or some specific type of game. Uh, or music or whatever it is, you can, they can't just be some generalist. And so I think that, like, I would love to see somebody out there build something in this space, which makes it really easy. Because I know I'm, I've been looking for people to help us with writing at our fun signal fire, or even just helping with things like tweet storms. And it's like, there's no, there's no like portfolio of tweet storms that somebody has that I can like sift through to see if they're going to be great at the specific, specific role. So hope somebody out there goes and builds that LinkedIn for the creator economy production talent. Will, anything that you're looking for for, for people to build for the creator economy? Honestly, like when I think about the creator economy, it's like the one thing that's clear is that today creators are businesses. And then tomorrow, we think that all businesses will have to be creator-centric. And so when we think about the future of commerce, when we think about the future of how these creators scale up, a lot of what I've been thinking through is like, how do they monetize? Like, are there new ways for these folks to be able to make money that is not relying on advertising? I think advertising creators see the worst margins by far, and yet that is predominantly the way that most kind of 
middle bucket. And sometimes even these large creators have to rely on before they figure out, hey, I need to have equity in my own merchandising company. I need to have equity in my own brand and scale that out. And so are there other ways that we can help creators monetize and do that earlier on in their creative journey instead of relying on this pretty, like these pretty terrible cuts they're getting from AdSense and ad revenue? Yeah, definitely. Especially they need these passive revenue streams, things where they don't actually have to constantly do more work. One that I love is called wardrobe, and it actually lets creators put their closet up for rent. They can People can rent their clothes, and clothes are so unique. Most of the clothes out there in the world literally aren't for sale. Uh, and so to be able, the ability to like dress like your favorite creator, uh, and meanwhile, let these creators earn a passive revenue stream by just like taking clothes that they weren't even wearing in their closet, and they just put them in a box, and wardrobe takes care of the rest. Like I think more passive revenue streams for that, uh, like that for creators is a really great idea. And I, I really love that thing. I'd love to dive in a little bit deeper about that sen- the idea of like all businesses having to be creator centric. Because one thing that we're really seeing right now is that the fragmentation of audience. It used to be that like everybody in the world was watching like just a few TV channels. Then it fragmented to a bunch of cable channels. And now it's fragmented infinitely to every single niche and every single subculture having its own creators. And in Instead of spending the time watching one size fits none content on primetime TV, people are watching something that even if there's only a few hundred or a few thousand other people watching, it's t- tailored perfectly for them. And it's, you know, it speaks to them in their own esoteric language. It makes jokes that only they would understand. It makes them feel seen. It's a two-way dialogue between the creators and the audience. It's not just like a celebrity broadcast relationship. It's two-way and people actually give to give their feedback and be, you know, part of shaping the future of that content. And I think because of that, you everybody, every company thinking about marketing needs to realize that like just putting your money into a broadcast channel, a billboard, a commercial is not going to find the, the specific fans that really love you. And finally, with the Internet, you can find those people with great targeting. You just need the right. And but one of the best ways to target is just by finding an aligned creator. And so I, t- I totally agree with that concept. Maybe you could just dive a little deeper into that idea of like how are the future of all businesses and all marketing going to be reshaped by the creator economy? Yeah, just one more point there. And I know, Eric, that you were going to say some stuff, but like the one thing that I think is so interesting is that historically business have thought at first about what product or services do I want to sell? And then after I figure all of that out and invest all this money into it, then I will figure out the distribution to get it to users' hands. And creators are flipping that. That's like, the, like this is the kind of crazy thing about creators. Creators think about distribution first. They say, how do I get to a million followers first? And I think, Alexander, you were talking about Mr. Beast and how he has the burgers how he has this kind of candy bars and all these kind of new products coming out. Mr. Beast most certainly did not start out his channel being like, I want to make the best burger. And yet here he is, and he's outperforming 99% of all the other burger joints out there. Why? Because he is thinking about distribution first and then the products and services to cater to his audience next. And so they're hacking the system. And that's why we think that there's going to be a gravitational pull towards all these creators in the long run. Yes. And I would actually like to add that nuance. It's not just that all businesses are going to be content creator businesses. It's also that content creator businesses, really their product isn't just content, it's trust. And so the reason why all businesses are going to be content creator businesses is because the way to build trust is by producing content. And so I think there are a couple of interesting examples. We've all heard about creators becoming businesses, but like even standard ones, like Josh, arguably I could say Signalfire is a content creator business that monetizes via VC and deals. In part, <laughs> that's what Signalfire has done so well, like in hosting this. 
even Alexandra's point on what Will and myself have done, going and building trust, spending time with creators, texting with them individually, that trust, that content we develop between each other, that's also going to be what helps build our business and is a big reason why we're on here today. And so I think for us, the opportunity is huge. Everyone's going to start realizing that to succeed, you need trust, you need content. And that's the exact type of business that we're equipped to work with and help succeed. Totally. Because I, I just think of like the movie stars or musicians that I grew up loving. It's like, yeah, they're great, but they're making content for this enormous, enormous audience. I don't necessarily feel trust with them. There's no two-way dialogue. And I feel like, you know, they're, what they make is just, it happens to appeal to me, but the rest of their lifestyle and their choices uh, don't necessarily. And, you know, we talk, you know, the, the word creator and influencer gets interchanged a lot. And I think that's because your know, creation is what you make. It's like the start of the, the funnel, but the end of it is the influence. And when people really love what you make and they feel like it's made just for them, they truly start to believe that like your recommendations are worth taking to heart. And in a world of banner ad blindness, when we've all gotten so good at tuning out those podcast ads or the, you know, those, those television commercials or billboards, the ability to have somebody that you trust tell you what they really love and what you might enjoy. I think that that's going to have a massive, massive uh, influence. And, and you me- you mentioned that concept of like thinking about product first uh, versus distribution. And really, you know, we're seeing at SignalFire, the best startups that we're talking to have a built-in distribution method. They don't just come in saying, we're going to build the best products. Like, that's great, but you also are going to have to have a way to get it out to the to the world affordably. And you can't just rely on buying ads, especially when ad rates just get higher and higher and they can fluctuate so much over time. And so, you know, I think no matter what you're building, you know, thinking about the distribution method first, even if it's a media property. You know, when I started uh, my podcast, the first thing I thought of was like, oh, maybe, you know, I see these Twitter threads go super, super viral. Maybe if I could just make a podcast about viral Twitter threads and get the interview the authors and get them to append the, the podcast to the end of that tweet, uh, then maybe, or that tweet storm, maybe I can get some, some followers for the podcast finally. Uh, but what I didn't realize was that Twitter was a bit too smart for me. They've seen all the people who append that SoundCloud link at the end of their viral Twitter storm or their, uh, or their, like their viral tweet. And Twitter has basically learned that like people want to see the first tweet. They don't care about that last one that you tack on a few hours later, once you know, it goes viral. So even though this was like my experiment, I, I at least was trying to think about distribution first. And I think that that's something for all startups uh, and, and products and media entities or whatever you're trying to make. That's what's so important. And Alexandria, maybe you could just talk to us about like how you thought about distribution ahead of just building product and how the concept of like what can actually resonate with a wide audience and grow matters to how you think about what you make around chess. The way that I actually approached content creation initially was Uh, A little similar to how Peter Thiel gave his startup advice, which was basically monopolize a small niche and then grow from there. So I started entirely with chess content, and this fits really well with the greater discussion of how content is very fragmented right now. And and people will go to very specific niches to see the best of that very particular kind of content that they want. So for the first six months to a year, the only kind of content that I streamed on, on Twitch was chess. And this was really helpful to create the initial users that really loved it. Kind of like Paul Graham always says, try to get a hundred users who love you rather than you know, more who kind of like you. And this really helped build a community around the stream and get those initial super fans. I actually went streaming full-time on Twitch when I only had 400 viewers, which is really, really small. 
Um, but the reason I was able to do that was because there was some super fans who were supporting it. And it was already making more than like a product management job at Facebook in the first three, four months or so. So and the kind of advice I would give is really finding those niches and building content for it. And once I was able to do that, I started developing the skill of learning how to create content, which then led me to the exploration of creating content for the other kinds of industries that I'm interested in. Um, so that that is what was very important to me. And I actually just, one last point I wanted to add even though creators are pushing products to their audience, I think it has become much more saturated over the last two years or so because there's so many more deals and they're just going to, especially in Twitch, to content creators, even if it doesn't really fit their audience. But in the future, I think it's going to go back to being much more specific deals for the kind of content that they create. So for example, as a chess influencer working with like chess companies or gaming companies, not just any kind of random brand. I mean, and Alexandra, one more question just to tack on top of that is like, what's the dream for Alexandra, for Botez Live, for the whole shebang? Like, what's the vision for you? That's a good question. And I'm not your traditional creator because even when I started, it was after three years of trying to start my own uh, company, which was basically scaling personalized conversations between influencers and their fans using AI. And I always knew that I wanted to go back and either start my own company or now I'm thinking about basically helping creators invest in the creator economy and get some kind of be a part of the growth that they're helping create. So I'm figuring that out. But at the same time, what I'm realizing is that even if I want to go back to being a founder or I'm actually going to have to be really good at content and, and have a mix of both. So somehow the, the trajectory worked out perfect. I love it. Okay. So we, uh, we've got a question from the Constine.club chat. If you guys want to submit a question, we'd love to hear before, uh, as we finish things up, uh, Constine.club slash chat. And you know, one of our listeners, uh, they, they asked, uh, Vishal asked, you know, we'd love to know how Carrot thinks about other fintech providers like Stir, and do they see a convergence with creator fintech? Like, do we think that there, you know, the, there's going to be a lot of these separate sort of point solutions, or do you imagine everything's going to aggregate into like these big product suites? The beauty of fintech is at the core, it's technology that's meant to help you save money, borrow money, transfer money around. And the history of fintech has been one of bundling and rebundling. In the very beginning, there were banks that did all of those. I'm not gonna say necessarily the best job, but you went to them because, well, they were the only ones that could afford to build a brick and mortar presence, abide by all the different regulatory concerns and issues, and deal with the technological stack needed to move money around. Now, what's been really beautiful is in the past few years, technology has made it easier and easier to spin up your own financial products that also abide by regulatory concerns because you're partnering with the banks, use APIs to take care of the technological aspect by partnering with existing platforms, and you don't even need a brick and mortar element anymore. And what that means is you're gonna see a future where everyone's gonna have personalized FinTech experiences built for them. So what I believe is you're gonna see, hey, as an immigrant, there's Nova Credit, there's Stilt, there's Sable. As a venture-backed startup, there's Brex, there's Ramp. As a young adult or a teenager, there's Current, there's Step. As a creator, there's Carrot. And you're gonna see for each one of these particular segments, there's gonna be a clustering of financial services for that segment, a rebundling for that particular person or business. Now, the $100 million, billion dollar question is, well, will that in itself eventually begin to re-aggregate again, where you're going to have a super bank with its own product lines customized for all of these different various demographics and businesses that I'm less certain of. 
right? But I do firmly believe, yeah, the same thing you're seeing in the creator economy with us and others building out this whole set of financial products, you're going to see repeated for every demographic out there that's been misunderstood or left down in the cold by the broad brush heuristics of what FICO has been to date. I think that's a brilliant point, especially that that concept of the reaggregation, because I think one of the problems is that we've seen this huge explosion of creator economy startups, but so many of them mean you have to like integrate them all yourself. And like creators aren't enterprise businesses. They don't have some giant like software team that's just helping them like fiddle with APIs and integrating all these different software products. And so I think a lot of times, you know, a lot we see a lot of startups building very specific point solutions for like one tiny piece of the puzzle. But first of all, the platforms may end up just like steamrolling those products by building them themselves. Uh, plus, it just may be too complex for creators to actually build. If you're like trying to focus full time on what you make and your content and your audience, it's going to be tough to like also become a web developer and hack all these different products together. That's why we uh, at SignalFire, we funded Spore, which is a creator website builder, but it basically builds in functionality from community, Patreon, Discord, Podlink, Substack, all, Squarespace, all into one product. So everything just plays nicely with each other. Um, so another question from the, the Constantine.club chat was, you know, does Carrot plan to use memes in its marketing strategy? Because I'll admit, it's a little <laughs> bit weird. Will and Eric, you guys are like private account style with like on Twitter and Instagram. And I was like, if, when I was promoting the show, it was like, do I even tag them? Because like they literally people can't even follow them. So maybe you could just, maybe you could you know, square that with me. Like as you know, people who are so creator focused, why are you guys more locked down in your own personal creator presences. I told them that as well because I wanted to introduce them to other creators on Twitter, but I was like, you guys need to have an actual account so there's a person We've been getting the, the feedback. We hear you. We, we, we are working on being better. It's, it's hard to be a creator. <laughs> we do not have many Instagram followers, Josh and Alexandra, not due to lack of desire, but due to lack of competence. And so hopefully... <laughs> Care will be how we leave our mark in the world as opposed to our personal presences. But and so that, we are working on producing content to help support. We have memes creators. up now. Go to our Twitter <laughs> or Instagram. We're commissioning meme contests to make memes for us. Ooh. And we're also working on content to help interview creators to kind of get that story of what it's like to be a creator that's blown up and to help hopefully guide that next generation of creators through that journey as well. Being like, wait, like how did I think our first video is on Trinity Marie. Uh, she has over 10 million like followers on TikTok. And it was just like, hey, how do we kind of surface these stories of all these kind of creators that just kind of fell into it and share a little bit about how like their journey and their path. And a lot of times I think Eric and I are thinking about how do we support those creators ultimately? I think that's the biggest part of kind of yes. the carrot brand and ethos. And so you'll, you'll be seeing a lot more content from us. I love it. I want to see more startups commissioning memes because, you know, in the end, it's all, it's <laughs> yes. it's like, is it all an attention economy? It's like, it always has been. Uh, okay, so uh, some incredible points, just to recap what, what our, uh, our our incredible followers said. If you want to get the podcast of this show, it'll be available soon. Uh, you can go to constine.club and subscribe there, and then you'll get messaged about when we, uh, when we put out the podcast because this conversation was awesome, especially 
especially the beginning of it if you missed it and you just joined us recently. But, but you know, we started off talking about how Alexandra, one of the top chess streamers in the world, couldn't get uh, financing, couldn't get you know a traditional uh, like traditional financial services, even with a background from Stanford, even with tons of revenue coming in. And you know that uh, Eric worked at Instagram and he found that all these creators they were t- talking with and dealing with had no real financial infrastructure and banks just had no idea how to deal with them. And so they went to VidCon wearing this Instagram t-shirt and everyone of course wants to talk to them. And they found out that like you really can't focus on making things for a beautiful audience and really pouring your heart into uh, to your art if, you, if your money isn't right, if you don't have that financial uh, stability. And so, you know, they spent months trying to build, you know, working capital for creators, taxes for creators, and really weren't getting a lot of resonance. Uh, but finally they seized on the idea of a credit card, something that like everybody knows how it works and what, what it, uh, how to use it, but that is really stuck in the past. Because as you were saying, the FICO score was just started by two guys about a hundred years ago who came up with a crazy idea for how to do credit scores. And it hasn't really evolved all that much since. And so, you know, uh, it, it really makes no sense that if you have thousands of paying fans, if you have, you know, a huge engagement on your social media, if you're selling merchandise, if you're having, you know, a thriving Stripe account that you can't get a traditional loan, you can't get a bank account. That's just absurd. And so as it turns out, they're using, uh, Carrot is using leading indicators like your engagement and followers, as well as lagging indicators like your merchandise revenue, ad revenue, subscriber revenue to build a 10x better view of how a creator is doing and whether they're somebody who is reliable and trustworthy with money. And so, you know, that, that, uh, that, that's incredibly valuable. And so even creators who just blew up, who haven't spent years, you know, going into debt and then paying it off, which is how the credit industry wants you to prove your credit worthiness. Instead, they could just say, no, these people are good for their money and their followers are going to support them for years to come. And so Alexandra was talking about, you know, how she looks for things like live viewers uh, and how she can't really take a day off. And creator burnout is so prevalent because these algorithms, they really do penalize you if you stop for even a day. And so that can be really tough if you're trying to constantly put out something that, that speaks to your audience and is true to yourself. And especially if it's so exhausting when you also have to tag on all this backend infrastructure. And so, you know, dealing with something like taxes can be terrifying for creators and that's why they put it off so long. Um, and, but now there's finally things like Carrot, which are, we think are going to be the first of a huge wave of creator financial services. Um, and I love that with this new $26 million funding round from uh, Union Square Ventures and supported by SignalFire, my fund, who is also an investor in the Series A, uh, that you know, you guys are actually made room for 30 of your creators to be investors in the round. Uh, because you know, as a natural evolution of creators, you go from just making content and being excited to get seen to finally making money through sponsorship and ad revenue to wanting to actually own the means of production. And that means investing into startups themselves and investing in the tools that you use. And I'm excited to see that now with this money, Carrot's going to be building bank accounts, taxes, QuickBooks, and other things for, uh, for, for, their, for the creator economy. And I love that you're also thinking about financial literacy, that you're walking creators through what's wrong with the financial system, why you can build a business without charging fees, and you're actually giving them your own phone number so they can text you, and you're even bringing on financial advisors to help them. Because I think you know, there's no better way to drive founder empathy for the customer than just giving those customers your phone number and hearing from them directly rather than you know through a bunch of layers of bureaucracy. And, you know, Alexandra was talking to us about how much, how helpful that working capital that Carrot can provide is. You know, she needs video editors, thumbnail editors, assistants, TikTok editors, and, you know, they have to pay them, but sometimes it can take days, 
weeks, months even, to get the revenue that you earn as a creator. And so Carrot's uh, bank accounts and uh, credit cards can be that that intermediary step so you have that money to continue building content. Um, and you know, we talked about how it's like, if you really want a lesson in just how much the old school financial world doesn't get it, you know, a lot, anybody who goes to them and says, oh, I uh, make money by selling videos on the internet and people pay to watch me, they just immediately assume you're in pornography or adult content. And there's so many incredible creators who are very family friendly and deserve to be able to have the same kind of financial services as most small businesses. And so we asked Eric and Will, the founders of Carrot, about what do they want to see people build next? And a big, a big popular one was LinkedIn for creators, that you know creators need so much production help. They need so many uh, staff members to help them. And that's how you're going to build the creator economy middle class. But there's not a good way to find them and to piece through their portfolios and make sure that they really understand both your your the platforms you work on as well as the niche content style that you do. So I hope somebody out there builds that LinkedIn for the creator economy middle class. Um, and it's super fascinating to see that you guys are actually even thinking about how to let creators invest in other startups by building your own little mini shark tank on your Discord channel uh, so that your top creators can get in touch with uh, with, with great startups. Because yeah, we see over at SignalFire, VC funds, startups, they desperately want to get in touch with those creators because they know it's an attention economy all the way down. And businesses need to stop thinking about product first and really think about distribution first. How are you going to get the product out there in the world? Because oftentimes that's going to inform what you actually build. And you know, if you can build that the same way that uh, build, by building distribution first, you can think about your audience first. By the same way as uh, as being a, a creator and thinking about those first 100 fans, you'll be able to inform what you build next, what you create next. And you know, I think it's really critical that we get these kind of financial services across the board for all types of people. Nova for immigrants, Brex for startups, uh, Current and Step for Gen Z, because everyone, no matter what you're trying to do, if, whenever you're trying to build for the world, whatever your passion is, it's going to be a lot easier if you feel financially secure. Um, so with that, I just want to give a last word to each of you. If you had one word for creators or people building in the creator economy out there, what's one piece of advice uh, and a, a forward-looking statement that we can share with you before we go? I think from my perspective, it's really simple. It's do what's good for creators, do what's good for the world, and just do the right thing. And that's how you genuinely build trust. Because I think a core concept of our entire conversation today is when you build trust, good things follow. Amazing. Love it. Will, what about you? Just supporting creators. I mean, it's really tightly related, right? How do you best support folks in the ecosystem? And Alexandra, maybe you could finish us off with uh, maybe a word of inspiration to creators out there trying to follow in your footsteps of turning whatever is their passion into their true profession. I think the best kind of content you can make is on a field where you're truly passionate about it because that's where you're going to build expertise. So I would say that if you do want to be a content creator, never think first, oh, I just want to be a content creator. Think what craft, what passion do you want to share with the world? I think that's great uh, great advice for uh, entrepreneurs as well. Don't think about, oh, I want to be a founder. Think about a problem that you want to solve, something true and dear to you that you can have that kind of permanent vendetta to solve. Because I think that's when you're going to build the best products is when you're making something that you truly love, whether it's content, whether it's a business, just make what you love. And then you're going to be able to bash through those walls and wake yourself up in the morning on those hard days because you you believe in the mission yourself. And so with that, thank you guys so much for coming to Press Club. It has been an absolute pleasure to talk about the creation 
creator fintech space with you. If you are a creator out there, go check out Carrot's credit card and banking services. Incredible, incredible way to be able to get working capital and build what you need. Uh, and if you love content and you want to see one of the best content streamers in the world, and especially if you like chess, definitely check out Alexandra Botez. Incredible personality, super, super fun videos. And if you're building something in the creator economy, we'd love to hear about it at Signal Fire. Our fund is uh, you know, a billion dollar venture capital fund investing heavily in the creator economy in startups like Carrot, like Clubhouse, like Spore.build for creator websites. And we'd love to hear about what you're building. Get a warm intro or hit me up on Twitter. I'm Josh Constein, former editor of TechCrunch and investor at Signal Fire. It is my absolute pleasure to get to spend these afternoons with you. There's nothing more important than your time and your ears to me. And so I hope you learned something special today. And I hope you go and use that to go build something that you're truly passionate about. Thank you one more time from Press Club. We're here Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific with the biggest names in tech talking about the big themes you need to know about. Hope to see you next week. Farewell, everybody.